The following audio is from LCBC Church. To learn more about LCBC, visit lcbcchurch.com. One of, the things I, uh, one of the things I absolutely love about the Caruso story is it just, it just reminds us of why we do things like at the movies. We just have no clue with something as simple as at the movies, what that is going to unlock in someone's life. And so let me just personally say to all of you at all of our locations, if you were a part of helping build out these atriums and you were a part of helping develop the plans for at the movies, I just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you um, for your work and for your effort. And um, we're just hoping and praying that it pays off in huge ways. And let me tell you kind of what to expect over the next several weeks. You may or may not know this, but you know, years past, July was our lowest attended month. And since we've started at the movies the last several years, July is our highest average attended month um, in the entire year. It is an amazing experience. So we're going to have more guests come through our doors really than any other season of the year um, over the next several months. So let me give you your job description for the month of July. So here you go. I'm going to give you your job description. You only have one job description. Here it is. You need to roll out the red carpet. That's it. That's your one job description when you're here at our church. Roll out the red carpet, not only for the guests that you're going to be bringing, but roll out the carpet for every single guest that walks through our doors. And here's what we're hoping and praying for. What we're hoping and praying for is that the guests that you bring with you and all the guests that walk through our doors, we're hoping and praying that they are amazed by our atrium environments. We're praying that, we're praying that they are amazed by the environment. But way more importantly, we are hoping and praying that they are captured by God's love. And some of them for the very first time. So just pray with us, bring people, roll out the red carpet, and let's just see what God does. Let's just see what God does over these next several weeks. We are very, very excited. So I hope you're making plans to be here. Hope you're making plans to bring some people with you because it's going to be an incredible experience. It's, it's funny because, you know, At The Movies is really in some ways all about giving people an experience with our church sort of inside these walls. But over the last several weeks, we, we've been in this series called Get Off My Lawn. And it's really been a series all about kind of how we live outside of these walls. Not, in, not while we're here inside the walls, but how we live outside of the walls. It's really been a series on just how, how to be the neighbor that you want other neighbors to be to you. How to be that kind of neighbor. And, and it's really foundational to what it means to follow Jesus because honestly, Jesus kind of summed up everything he was about in this one statement at one point. He said, you want to know how to live a remarkable life? It's, it's kind of simple. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Starts there. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others. Love God and, and, and love your neighbor. So we've been talking about how to do that. And I want to continue that conversation today and wrap up our conversation called Get Off My Lawn because it's so tempting, isn't it, to never even consider how we engage the people right around us, our neighbors, even the people in our home, our, our coworkers, the people who are closest to us. We never even consider. We just kind of go through life. And, and we may even know we're giving off the message, Get Off My Lawn, but we're giving that message. We come home, we shut the garage door, we go to our room, we shut the door, whatever it might be, we close ourselves off. And we're sending this message, Get Off My Lawn. Lawn. And today, here's what I want to talk about. I want to wrap up this series by talking about how do we live? How do we love God and love others? How do we love God and love our neighbor? How do we love God and love the people closest to us when we've been offended? When there's conflict? When we've been disrespected by the person? How, how do we navigate that? What does it look like to love God and love others when, when that's happening? And fortunately for us, we don't have to try to figure this out on our own. In fact, so much, I mean, like one of the things that you see, the very first followers of Jesus, they wrestled with this constantly. They were wrestling with what it looks like to be a kind of neighbor that can navigate conflict, can navigate when they're offended well in a way that loves God and love other, loves others. They wrestled with this all the time. In fact, this topic took center stage 
in lots of the New Testament, a good portion of the New Testament. And there's one writing in particular. It was written by the Apostle Paul. He was one of the leaders in the, in the, in the early church. And, and it's crazy because he wrote this letter to this group of Jesus followers who were living in the city of Rome at the time, in the first century. And what's crazy is 2,000, here we are 2,000 years later, we still have a copy of this letter, which is kind of remarkable when you think about it. But Paul writes in the, in the middle of this letter, he, he kind of weighs into this topic. He dives right into this talk about how, how do we you know, live life with people when there's conflict, when, there's, when we've been hurt, when we've been offended, when we've been wounded, right? When, when, when something's happened to us, when we've been disrespected. Because that's when we're most likely to say to others, get off my lawn. But Paul says, maybe there's another way. And in the middle of writing in this letter and, and weighing into this topic about how we're to navigate relationships when there's conflict, he makes this absolutely astonishing statement. And this is what he says in Romans chapter 12. Don't let evil conquer you. Do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Now, I may not know every detail of your life. I may not know everything about your life, but one of the things I know about every single one of you right now is you don't want that to happen to you. It doesn't matter who you are. No one like, wants to get to the end of the day, on the, the end of their days and on their tombstones, like, here lies Joe, conquered by evil, right? No one's dreaming of that. That's not, the, that's not the path that you want for your life. No one wants that. And what's fascinating about this statement, when Paul makes this statement here, is he makes this statement in the context of talking about how we manage and navigate relationships when we've been hurt, when we've been wounded, when, when, when we've been offended. So in other words, apparently, for these first Christians, what they began to discover is that it's possible to respond to people who hurt us or who offend us in ways that will lead us to being conquered by evil. And so what I wanna do today, I just wanna reverse engineer this. I kinda wanna, I wanna look at what Paul, like usually you kinda start with a passage and you can build off of that. This is the last passage I wanna look at. And I wanna look at the words that Paul said before this statement. Because everything he said before this statement sets up how that happens right there. And I have really good news for you today. If you're, if you're not a Christian or maybe you're just exploring Christianity or you know, you're not sure where you land on the whole faith, faith thing, the good news for you is everything that we're about to read, everything that you're about to see, it's optional for you. Take it as really good advice, whatever, you know, whatever, but you're kind of off the hook for it, but it's great advice, so just take it as that if that's what you want to do. But if you're here today and you are a Christian, if you're here today and you would say that you're a life changed by Christ, what we're about to read, as challenging as it is, it's kind of permission to play. It's actually kind of foundational to what it means to be a Christian. So Paul, tell us, how do we not be conquered by evil? Because we don't want that. So this is what he says just a few sentences before this. He says, we'll start here. Never pay back evil with more evil. When you're offended, when you've been disrespected, when you've been hurt, when you've been lied to, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with who? Everyone. Now, anytime a writer in the New Testament uses the same word two times relatively close to each other, they're making a point. They're wanting you to pay attention. Paul's saying, everyone, do everything you can to live at peace with everyone, including the people who hurt you. Everyone, including that neighbor who disrespected you, including that neighbor who has no concept of property lines, including that friend who you trusted and they broke your trust including that coworker who took your idea and claimed it as their own. Everyone. Well, how does that start? Where, where does it start, Paul? Well, it starts here. Never pay back evil 
with more evil. And I imagine maybe the very first people in Rome, they're sitting around in a living room in the city of Rome and they're reading this letter and maybe someone raises their hand at this point and kind of objects a little bit. Maybe you want to as well. And you kind of raise your hand and go, whoa, 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 Paul, you, you don't understand. No, 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 you, you, you're mistaken. You don't really get it. What they did to me was evil. But what I did back to them, that's justice. No, no, Paul, what they did to me, that was evil. What I did back to them, that was just balancing the scales. And besides, Paul, it's not like I'm burning down their house. It's not like I'm plotting their demise. I'm just not talking to them anymore. I'm just ignoring them. I'm just refusing to help them when they need help now. I'm just holding it over them. I'm just holding on to it so I can bring it back up at a later time. That, that's all I'm doing. I wouldn't necessarily it's evil, say it's evil, but Paul levels the playing field. And he says, look, if it makes it more, a little bit more palpable to you, Say it this way, never pay back hurt with more hurt. Never pay back one offense with more offenses. And he levels the playing field and says, man, when we return it, are we really any different? And then he pushes further. Look what he says next. He says, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that, really, two really important words we'll come back to here in just a moment. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I'll pay them back, says the Lord. Paul said, you're gonna have to, to leave someone behind. And if, you, if, you've ever, if you've ever wondered when you're offended or when you're hurt, or when you're disrespected or when you're lied to or whatever, you know, when you're wounded, if you've ever wondered where that sort of impulse to take revenge comes from, it's really rooted in a statement that my guess is you have said or you have thought at some point, it's a fascinating little statement. How many of you guys have, raised your hand if you've ever said this or thought this when someone hurt you? You owe me an apology. Just raise your hand real quick. All right. You didn't raise your, if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying right now. And you owe me an apology. So anyways, you owe me an apology, right? Now what's fascinating about this statement, now I know you've never thought deeply about this or why we say this or anything like this. But what's interesting to me about this is this three-letter word right here, you owe me. Why do we frame it like that? You owe me. Do you know why we, we, why we say that and why it's almost just so natural to, to, to frame it in that way, like you owe me something? It's because you intuitively know. No one had to teach you this. You didn't have to learn this at school. You just know this, that when someone offends you, when someone wrongs you, when someone disrespects you, when someone does something that hurts, whatever, that there is a debt to be paid now. They took something from you and there's a debt to be paid. They owe you something because of what they did, because of what they did to you. We sort of intuitively know that. And revenge, what revenge is, it is, it's always an attempt on our part when we've been offended. It is our attempt to forcibly take back what we're owed. To take matters in our own hands and forcibly take back what we're owed, the debt that they owe us, the debt that they have to us. But there are two Huge problems with this. Two huge problems with this. And this is why revenge, two reasons why revenge will never work. The first is this. How do you measure, how do you objectively and accurately measure what you're truly owed when you've been offended? I mean, it's kind of simple, I guess. If, 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 if someone takes $20 from you, that's kind of simple. So they owe you, right? They're in your debt. They, they stole that from you, it's $20, you know. So look, if you wanna make this right, you owe me $20, right? So that's kind of simple. But most of life doesn't work that clean. What about when they take your trust? How do you measure that? 
How, how do you quantify how much you're owed back when they took your trust? What about when they took your time and they wasted it? How do you measure that? What about, what about when they took your innocence? And I know this is your story. For some of you, this is your story, man. You were a child. You didn't know anything. And they took advantage of that. And they robbed you of that. How do you objectively weigh then how much they owe you back for that? What about when they take advantage of you? How do you weigh taking advantage? See, this is the problem with revenge. How would you ever know that the scales are balanced? You can't. And so we just keep taking. The second reason revenge will never work, so the first is that you, 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 know, you really can't accurately measure what you're owed. You just have this sense of it. But the second reason is because we will always feel the offense. When we're offended or hurt or wounded or disrespected, we will always feel that offense greater than the one who did the offending. And if you just need proof of this, just ask a parent. Because how many parents have ever heard their kids like, Mom, he pushed me. He's like, I didn't push you. I just nudged you, right? Like, Mom, she yelled at me. I didn't yell at you. I just raised my voice. Mom, she hit me. And, you know, I didn't hit. I just tapped, right? In other words, we feel the offense greater than the one who did the offense. And we carry this principle all the way into adulthood. This happens all the time. This is why revenge always escalates. Revenge always one-ups. Revenge always escalates because they tap you. They thump you, but you, to you, it felt like a punch. So you want to balance the scales. So what do you do? You punch them back, but your punch felt like a kick to them. So they want to balance the scales. So what do they do? They kick, they, they, they kick you back, but that kick felt like a body slam to you. So what do you do? You body slam them back. So it just keeps escalating. Revenge will always escalate. Come on, guys, you've seen this. You've seen it. I can't tell you a story that I've heard over the years of, of families, friends, sometimes spouses, sometimes mothers and fathers with their children, where relationships absolutely dissolve. Where you haven't talked, you haven't spoken in years. And you look back and you're like, where did it all start? And sometimes you can't even remember. It's just this constantly until it's severed. It's because taking revenge is absolutely, it's like chasing the wind, man. You can never reclaim what you're owed. And let me just tell you real quick what Paul's not saying here. Paul says never take revenge. Paul is not talking about, he's not, he's not talking about letting people who have offended us and maybe broken the law and done things like that. He's not talking about not, not wanting them or not letting them face the consequences of their actions. That's not revenge. In other words, sometimes you may need to press charges, and you can press charges and not be taking revenge. That is, pressing charges, for instance, that's just allowing them to face the natural consequences of breaking the laws of our land. That's not revenge. Paul is talking at a much more personal level here. Paul's talking about when you and I take it into our own hands, when we take matters into our own hands and say, I'm going to reclaim, I'm gonna forcibly take back what you owe me. You say, man, that's an illusion. It doesn't work. It can't work. He's talking, he, he, this is why he uses that phrase in the middle of that statement, that passage we just read. He said, leave that. Leave that. You don't want to be conquered by evil. You're going to have to leave that behind. You're going to have to release that debt that they owe you. That debt is real, but you're going to have to release it. 
You're going to have to let that go. And Paul could have just left it here. And that would have been enough to talk about for the next four years. But he doesn't. He says it's not only, to, it's not only enough to, to just release that debt. He goes on and pushes it even further. He says this next. He says, instead, in other words, he's preparing us. Like, there's something else coming. Like, instead, there's another way of living. Instead, there is something now proactive that you need to do if you don't want to be conquered by evil. When it comes to the hurt and the offenses that you've been given in your life, he says this. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. And if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Some of you are like, yes, Paul, that's exactly what I want to do, actually, right there. But just know real quick, Paul's actually quoting a, a passage from the book of Proverbs there. And it's really just a way of saying, it's like this ancient Near Eastern way of saying that hopefully if you treat others in this way, if you refuse to take avenge, revenge, that it will lead them to remorse. That's the hope that it will lead them to seeing what they've done and maybe they'll turn around. But Paul's saying, look, but there's one surefire way to ensure they'll never turn and that's by taking revenge. The only path forward is by being ruthlessly, relentlessly committed to extending grace and forgiveness and blessing to the very people who wronged us. Paul says you're gonna have to release the debt, but there's another side of it. You're gonna have to return blessing. You're gonna have to return forgiveness. You're going to have to return grace. And I think there's a much broader principle that Paul is getting at here when he says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. And if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. He's not, I don't think he's literally saying, go do that. I mean, how do you do that if someone that's wronged you is, is now passed away? Like, you can't go do that, right? Or if they live in another state or whatever, you can't do that. He's making a, more, a much more broad sort of principle here, which is you're going to have to choose to do this. You're going to have to choose to forgive this person. You're gonna to have to choose to give them grace. It won't, I've seen a lot of people do a lot of things by accident, but one of the things I've never seen happen by accident, I've never seen anyone forgive another person by accident. That doesn't happen. It's as intentional and volitional as preparing a meal for someone. Forgiveness is a choice, and that is so important to, to, to say right now because I think for some of us, we've tended to believe this idea that forgiveness is a feeling. It's not a feeling. It's a choice you and I make to say, I'm not going not to be bound up by that. And it is the most costly choice that you will ever make. Do you know why it's the most costly choice you'll ever make? Because when you choose to forgive, the debt doesn't go away. It doesn't disappear. You just choose to absorb it. It doesn't magically go away. You just choose to absorb it onto yourself. It's letting go of what you're owed. And that comes with a cost. And I just want to clarify something real quick. Forgiveness doesn't mean, it does not mean that you gloss over what was done to you. It doesn't mean you, you, you kind of make light of what was done to you or the offense, whether it was small or whether it was large. It doesn't mean you just pretend it didn't happen. No, forgiveness, is, forgiveness looks at the offense, whatever it is, big or small, looks it right in the eye. And you call it out for what it is. You say, that was wrong. You shouldn't have done that to me. It was wrong, and I release you from it. 
But you don't gloss over it. You don't pretend it didn't happen. Forgiveness isn't glossing over things. And forgiveness isn't forgetting. Every now and then I'll hear like, like just forgive and forget. I'm like, how is that even possible for th- some things? I'm not even sure that's healthy to do. Some things shouldn't be forgotten. Forgive and forget. And the reason why sometimes we feel guilty, it's like, you know, we thought we forgave this person then a, a month later or two years later or 10 years later, it comes back up and we feel angry again. We're like, man, I thought I forgave that person. You did. You just need to forgive them again. It's a constant choice. You're working at it. And the last thing is I would just say is that forgiveness is not reconciling. Those are two different topics. In other words, to forgive someone that doesn't necessarily, you can forgive someone and that doesn't necessarily mean you need to run back to them. Some people are destructive. Some people are toxic. Some people are hurtful beyond measure. And it's okay to keep your boundaries and keep your distance, but it's not okay to harbor that resentment and bitterness and, take, and say, I'm gonna make you pay for it. That's where we begin to get conquered. Two different things, though. It means that you recognize, in the end, you recognize the illusion of revenge, and you choose to release them of their debt and return blessing to them and forgiveness and grace. So you ready to get really personal? Because it's about to get personal. About to get real in here. And I'm gonna tell you right now, some of you are gonna be really mad. Don't be mad at me. I didn't say it, Paul did. So write him your emails. Ready? If your ex-husband is hungry, feed him. Told you, kinda heavy. If your ex-wife is thirsty, give her a drink. If your father who neglected you hungry, feed them. If your mother, who nitpicked everything about your life, is thirsty, give her a drink. If your friend, who betrayed you, is hungry, feed them, forgive them. If that teacher, who singles you out in front of everyone and always embarrasses you, is hungry, feed them, give them forgiveness, release the debt and return a blessing. And then Paul brings it full circle because after this statement is this very last sentence that we started with. So don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Guys, come on, let's get real for a moment. How many of us have seen people who have been conquered by bitterness? How many of us have seen people who've been conquered by their anger, by their unwillingness to let go of what was done to them? They keep demanding to be paid back, but it's an illusion. You know those stories. Some of you are feeling that today. And I just want you to know, man, I know that you've been hurt. And I know you've been disrespected. I know you've been lied to. I know that you've been wounded. I know that. I know you've been offended. But I also want you to know, but you haven't been conquered by it until you refuse to forgive. Until you refuse to release it and return blessing. Paul says, you, you, you wanna avoid being conquered by evil? It's kind of simple. Just release the dead. 
and return blessing, forgiveness, grace. That's the pathway forward. You can't just say, get off my lawn on this one and experience the fullness of life that God has for you. Is there anything that you're holding on to today? Is there any offense that you've been given that you've got your hands tightly wrapped around, you refuse to let it go? Man, I'm telling you, it's time. You have a heavenly father who says to you, I don't want you to be conquered by anything. Anything. And you have a savior in Jesus who stared evil in the face, who stared all of our offenses in the face and released us of the debt we owe and returned blessing, forgiveness, and grace. And I want you to know that for these very first followers of Jesus, this is the catalyst. This is their motivation. What Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, that was the reason they were willing to even talk about something so scandalous and challenging as the things that we've been talking about here today. Because they believed that they were once enemies of God. Living in ways that were offensive to the God who created them in love, and yet this God did not hold that against them. And so as the recipients of God's relentless and ruthless forgiveness and grace towards us, it's almost like they're sitting there going, how could we say we want it all and refuse to extend it? How could we say we want to receive it, we just don't want to give it? That, that feels inconsistent. And it all stemmed their commitment to this. It wasn't because they wanted to live a better life. It wasn't because they thought it was just a morally excellent way to live. It wasn't because they just wanted to be nice people. It was because in Jesus Christ, they saw this in flesh and blood lived out on the cross. The one who was wounded for our sins and returned grace. And so today, I think it's fitting to end our time to remember that. To remember what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. To remember how far his love would go for us. And to allow that to be the catalyst for us living as neighbors and as family members and as co-workers and as friends who would extend grace and release the debt and return blessing because Jesus Christ did it for us. And so we're gonna do that by celebrating communion. And communion is is really just a symbolic way of remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made. And, and he told us how to remember. Because the, very, the, the night before Jesus died, he, he grabbed his disciples together, his closest followers, and he got them around a meal table and he took bread and he broke this bread and he said, this bread, you know what this is like? This is like my body that will be broken for you, for your brokenness. And he took a cup and he, and he said, this cup, this wine and this cup is like my blood that will be spilled out for you. Pay a price for you. That's how much I love you. And he said, I want you to remember that. And so just a moment, we're gonna do that. We're gonna take bread and we're gonna take a cup. And, and I just want you to know, there's nothing magical about the bread or, or, or the cup. There's nothing magical about them. It's just bread, it's just juice and a cup. But, but what's sacred, what's powerful, what's meaningful is what it what it symbolizes, 
what it means for us. And so I'm just gonna give us a moment because I think it's good before, you know, whenever we, before we remember this, to kind of just take a moment and reflect and to be quiet before God. And I'm gonna give you some space here to just talk to God. And I realize for some of you, it's been a long time since you've talked to God. For some of you, you've never talked to God. Man, take this opportunity right now to talk to God. You just talk to him like you're talking to a friend. He knows, he knows the innermost, your innermost thoughts. He knows your heart. And some of us, we need to take some time right now to come clean before God. Just talk to God. Maybe you've been holding on to an offense. And it's time to let it go. Today, right now. That's what you need to talk to God about. Maybe for some of you, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. And what are you waiting on? He's inviting you. He will never say, get off my lawn. He will always say, you're welcome. Come, 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 come to me. For some of you, you need to talk to God right now. And just for the very first time, maybe you need to choose to follow Jesus. You've been dragging your feet on this, but it's time. And you just do that just by saying, God, Jesus, I believe what you did for me on that cross is enough. I believe you have covered my sins, man. I believe you're enough for me. And today I'm choosing to follow you. I don't even know what all that means right now. I just want you, Jesus. That's what you need to talk to God about. I want you, I'm going to give you some space. So I'm going to give you just a moment. Just take some space and let's just come clean before God. Let's just talk to God. Here's what's going to happen in a moment. It's going to be some plates passed down your row. and Just take the bread, take the, the cup with the juice in it, and just hold on to it. Don't do anything with it yet. We'll all take together. But as you're holding on to it, you're going to hear the bands sing a song. Just If you want to sing along, great. If you want to keep talking to God, great. But just keep your heart focused right now on what God has done for us in Jesus. Jesus, we do take a moment now and we remember the grace and the love and the forgiveness that you have poured out on us. We remember your cross that you willingly went to, that it wasn't nails that held you up on that cross. Ultimately, it was love that you had all the power and authority in the world to do whatever you wanted and you chose to serve the very people you made. So we remember your body broken. We remember your blood spilled for us. And we ask you, Jesus, that our hearts are more in tune and aligned with you today because of that and the reality of what you've done. 
It's in your name we pray that, Jesus. Amen.